everyone, and welcome to episode 659 of Longbox Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcasts. Joe and Todd here. Todd, hello. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I'm leaning a little bit further away from the mic, but still projecting as much as I do. Uh, I noticed when I was uh, pulling the clips there at the beginning of uh, After Dark, I was coming in a little hot to start you know yeah you're a professional announcer you know what you're doing yeah those are two statements i guess right sure that are smooshed together sure why not i know what i'm doing right yep uh i do know what we got going on on this show which is actually quite a bit this week packed jammed up um out the wazoo if you will uh, the Eisner nominations are out. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not an Eisner show, but there's a lot of interesting stuff in there. Um, the August solicitations are out, and Marvel is already announcing books for December or for September, taking a page out of the DC playbook. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the DC playbook, are, have they been listening to <laughs> our Patreon shows? Because they got a one shot coming out. That, uh, I don't know, we're going to see how that gets across, you know? Right. Uh, did Marvel secretly bring back one of the many companies that they bought? Again, I will say, is Marvel listening to our Patreon <laughs> Previewing the Past show? Um, and as well as Marvel collecting something that some would say heretofore was uncollectible. Ooh. I do these like a tease, like you're flipping through the dial, like, oh, I got to come back and hear what they're talking about, right? Right, on the tens. That's right. You got to sweep for the quarter hours, traffic and weather, the whole thing, conventions this weekend, what we read from this past week, uh, which is Titans number one, which you have to remind me about when we're done recording, and <laughs> Avengers number one. <laughs> uh, what we're looking forward to coming out this week, of course, the triumphant return of Todd's Art Attack. And, of course, our continued reread in Todd and Joe Have Issues, where we look at the next two issues of Sandman, issues 34 and 30, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, 39 and 40, which are convergence one-shot things that are a little bit more thematic than I remember. Right. And we ain't got no movies until, what, next week? Uh, two weeks from, well, it'll be two weeks from now, but, yeah. I don't know. I know all the TVs and shows out to, like, 2027, so. There, hey, listen. You brought it up on the show that I didn't send it to you. Now you got no choice. I sent it to you, right? But it's so confusing, Joe. It, make, it makes sense to one person. Right. And that person isn't me. So. <laughs> that person is not you. Uh, so, as I mentioned, the Eisners were announced. We're not an Eisner-type thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of folks, um, creators and stuff, a lot of stuff that we read is on the list. I always like when that happens because uh, it makes me feel... Um, like, you know, maybe we're a little bit more hoity-toity of a show than we actually, uh, portent ourselves to be. Yep, yep. Um, I always, I'm confused and configured in my head about how and why things get nominated, you know? Like, I look at, uh, Best Continuing Series, uh, and I see Chip Zdarsky's Daredevil is in there, and I'm like, okay. Uh, I see Philadelphia's in there, I'm not familiar with that book. Uh, I see Tom Taylor's Nightwing is in there. Okay. Um, I see Rainbow Rowell's She-Hulk is in there. Very underrated book, which sadly is not being solicited uh, in August. And she's not responded to tweets about it. So I don't know what's going on there. Um, 
but also included in continuing series is uh, James Tinian IV's Nice House on the Lake, which was very clearly a 12-issue series. No, it wasn't. It had to be continued. Hmm. Or, like, more, like, not the end or whatever it said, so it'll be back. Uh-huh. And James Tinian's Department of Truth, which definitely had a definitive ending and hasn't had a new issue since November. I'll take your word on that because I tapped out, so. Okay. Um, so it's odd that they're in continuing series. Um, you know, obviously other books that we talked about, Human Target, is up for best limited series. Uh, that definitely was a limited series, you know? Mm-hmm. Um Mark Russell's Traveling to Mars is in Best New Series. Right. Uh, which, again, really cool to see that in there. Um, the uh, Daniel Warren Johnson's Do a Powerbomb, which I thoroughly enjoyed, uh, is in there for Best Publication for Teens. Um, there's a lot of swears and stuff in there. I don't know how I feel about that. But, again, you're an Eisner-nominated uh, so on and so forth, right? And uh, Kyle Starks is in there for I Hate This Place for Best Humor Publication. Right, and because Creepshow is in there for Best Anthology, he was taking that one, too, he said. Oh, he's taking I didn't see that he was taking that one, too. Right, because awesome. he has uh, one, a short story in one of them, remember? Yes. He's like, I'll count that as also not Eisner nominated. <laughs> I was like, you go, Kyle. What yeah. a creep show. Oh, Best Anthology. Okay. Yep, yep. So it's oh, okay. All right. All right. Oh. It's a group effort, Joe. It, it takes it takes a village, they say, right? Yep, yep to build a creep show. <laughs> uh, so congratulations to, like, you know, uh, people that we know that got nominated, books that we read that are nominated. This is like the third or fourth year in a row that a bunch of the stuff that we read um, has, has made it on to the Eisners, you know? It's almost like we got taste, Joe. Yeah, yeah. I think we sell ourselves a little bit uh, too too short, you know? Yeah, we do. Um, so speaking of Chip Zdarsky's Daredevil, um, it is sadly coming to an end here. Um, you know, we still got, I think, two more issues left of his run. And he is following in the footsteps of many great Daredevil creators uh, before him that have created a giant mess for the character. And say, <laughs> right. like, and dusting their hands like, now it's your problem. You figure it out, right? Right, how the Daredevil boy is going to get out of this one. That's right. And the new creative team is uh, Saladin Ahmed on writing and Aaron Cooter on art. I'm familiar with Aaron Cooter's art. I'm not familiar with uh, Ahmed as a writer, but I did see a lot of people who I follow, who I know, who I trust, saying that this is a good thing. Um, Daredevil is a book that I will continually read. Um, There's very few gaps in my uh, Daredevil run since about 1996. And those were either stylistic or personal reasons that they're not in there. Right. Uh, but I'm looking forward to seeing uh, what the new chapter of Daredevil brings, you know? Yeah, I mean, I know you're a big Daredevil guy. I was only around when, you know, he was created by Mark Wade, But uh, I know you're the go-to Daredevil guy. So I enjoyed, I read a couple issues of Zdarsky's run. And I thought it was really good. But I was just like packed to the gills with books. So I kind of tapped out. So I don't see me uh, picking this one up either. But uh, wish him all the luck. Now we talk about other... um things that are coming from the big two and as part of the august solicitations not only did dc announce (laughs) a swim an illustrated swimsuit edition it's not just any illustrated swimsuit edition todd it's nort's illustrated swimsuit edition 
Are they just catering to me and, and to a lesser extent you <laughs> from now like at DC? Uh, well, let me read the solicitation and you tell me. Uh, you may know Nort as the bumbling Green Lantern who protects Sector 68. Then again, you may not know Nort at all. Whatever the case, get ready to see him in his newest role as host and proprietor of this very special Swimsuit Edition comic. Join our favorite fuzzball as he showcases some of DC's best swimsuit covers most and most swimtacular stories. From the from Flash in Speed Force Racing briefs <laughs> to Batman in a bat parentheses hing suit i don't it doesn't read right uh this very special one shot shot is summer fun from bikini top to bikini bottom um very cheesecakey but it sounds like they're gonna have like a narrative in it as well it doesn't matter what they have joe <laughs> I will be buying this, and once again, if this isn't proof of the Longbox Heroes effect again, uh -huh. I think this is like, you know, scientists would agree with me. But I'm all over this, and it's sad because I'm probably going to have to spend an arm and a leg because I might get the variance. There's like a 1 in 25, I think, Adam Hughes cover. Um, uh, right. Okay, so uh, I'll continue reading here. So... Collect some of the splashiest, steamiest swimsuit covers from DC's Best Talent all in one place for the very first time, along with a Midnight or Apollo story from DC's Cybernetic Summer, and a new eight-page story featuring the Penguin clad in the tightest bathing trunks you can imagine. Right. Um, and then there's a centerfold. Uh, there are three potential centerfolds for your viewing pleasure. Um, so the, there's the main cover. Uh, there's a J. Scott Campbell and Adam Hughes cover, and then a 1 in 25 cover by Pablo Villalobos. So there's right, four okay. covers. So I guess I could get the Adam Hughes one, but I have a feeling the, the 1 in 25 is going to be hard to get. And then if there's three different pinups, that means I have to get three different books, Joe. All right. Oh, no, we're going to figure out how all this goes when we get there. And if you could see the pinups or you have to guess, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's going to be like polybagged or something. Right, which is going to upset me. So, But, uh, yeah, I'm all in on this one. This is like uh, <laughs> shut up and take my money territory. So I only bring this up with the caveat, Todd, because remember four years ago when Marvel was going to do the same thing? Right. Marvel had a summer special swimsuit deal that was supposed to come out in July of 2019 and then just was quietly canceled. Yeah, well, that happens. Sometimes, you know, the sales aren't there, so they scrap it. That's the only reason. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, who can object to Nort? He's so lovable. You're not wrong, but again, I'm just saying, you know. And Penguin and skin tight, like... That I, that the tightest uh, uh, swimming trunks I can imagine. I can imagine pretty skimpy swim trunks, Joe. So, mm -hmm. uh, so more in the news uh, alongside of Guardians of the Galaxy stuff on Marvel's digital exclusive stuff on the Marvel Unlimited app. They've been doing stuff about some of your uh, favorite Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three movie adjacent folks. Um, specifically one involving Adam Warlock, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, written by a uh, longtime Marvel writer and e editor, Ralph Macchio. No, no, not that one. <laughs> um, and in 
the Adam Warlock thing, you know, they're talking about, you know, his history and his comic book history and the Infinity Watch and the gems and so on and so forth. And in there, they just have a text thing that says eventually the Infinity Gems were stolen by a bizarre vampire called Rune from a parallel dimension. Now, that happened in a Rune Silver Surfer Ultraverse crossover from Malibu Comics? Yes, it did. Which Marvel did end up purchasing. Now, I know this is just hitting the news wires these days, but if you're on dark comic book Twitter, I guess they were talking about this about two weeks ago, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But there's, like, no follow-up. There's no anything like that. Is this Marvel, like, doing a stealth tease to bring back the Ultraverse? Or it's one of those, it's time for, what do you call it, uh, just to renew the copyrights? Sure. And if we do it, we don't, you know, whatever. But uh, you never know what Marvel, because I guess one of the Ultraverse characters was in Ragnarok, and they kind of like, you know, under, you know, <laughs> the, people really didn't notice. So I would not doubt if, if Marvel's like, ah, oh, we got characters here that I think we can use, you know what I mean? So let's start bringing them back slowly. You know, and they know how to build like uh, like tension in the news. It's like, oh, if we just trickle this out, like this will get people to like bite on it, and we and then we come back with more later. They all know what they're doing. Nothing's leaked or done by accident at these big companies. All right, I'm glad you're on that side of the things. I just uh, you so you think it's a greater plan, maybe? Yeah, yeah. Like I said, it's either just as simple as getting the copyright back. Or they're starting to trickle out like stuff to to use them eventually. Mm-hmm. So we shall see. We shall see if we get it. That's the bit next big uh, crossover leading into the next big cinematic chunk of the universe that they bring. Prime and Manta and Hard Case and all your Ultraverse favorites onto the silver screen, you know? Right. But I will say this. You're bearing the lead that they call them gems again. Have they been calling them stones in the comic books as well? Yes. Mm. That's why it... Uh, okay, a good. this is the clean show, so I don't want to have to make you edit. That was upsetting me when they changed it to stones in the comics. I went... That's why I'm like, it will always be gems to me. If you want to do it in the movie, you did it in the movie. This Marvel Cinematic Universe is different, but straight up in the comics calling them stones. Good, good. Now, uh, another uh, bit of news here. Um, it just came across the news wire. Um, that San Diego, uh, Comic-Con, you'll know it is Comic-Con International, but it'll always be San Diego, uh, for me and Todd. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just announced that retailers are no longer going to get free passes for San Diego. Uh, in the past, they were able to get up to two free passes, for San Diego. Um, now they have to pay full price, but they get something called a pay pass code, which essentially allows them to jump the line so they don't have to sit in a queue waiting to try to get a full four day pass and get locked out. Okay. Now you have to have been a diamond, you have to have a, you have to be a retailer who has a diamond. Um, membership account in good standing and it needs 
and it needs to have been in place prior to, you know, this like this week. Like you can't just go sign up for one today, but it needs to have been in effect for at least six months in good standing. Which I mean is a is a perfect you know caveat because why wouldn't you just if you were somebody who just like uh, take out the tax form and start a company, open an account, not buy anything and buy the tickets. Yep. You know what I mean? I'm I'm down with that. And oh, and the other thing. Okay, so in the last six, I'm just going over all the like the rules and everything that's in here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in the last six months, you needed to have ordered at least five thousand dollars of whatever from Diamond to qualify as well. I mean, that seems acceptable too. So. Right. But uh, it's interesting that the free passes are gone, you know? Yeah, I remember when, because our, our retailer used to get free passes to the New York Comic Con. That I mean, that was more a chance for him to go. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, I'm just not uprooting and going out to California. And they were free. And then they were 20 bucks. And then they were like 50 bucks. I forget what they're like 100 or 120 now for a four day pass. But I don't think like that you just sign up for as a as a professional or a retailer and they they give them to you because that's the one that we know a couple of people who are like teachers can go and stuff like that. But yeah, all the cons are like we're going to make every penny we can everywhere and i'm of the mind all right you want to take educators and whatever give them like cheaper passes but retailers should have a free pass to go to comic conventions they are still doing the um luncheon deal on friday Mm -hmm. for retailers and there's no charge or cost on that right and i know they give out a bunch of like free stuff there you know right which is super limited so you could flip it you know what i mean um, the luncheons and stuff like that. Because there was a couple of times I was almost going to say I was an employee and go get some of that stuff for mm-hmm. our, our retailer when he couldn't make it. But I never, you know, never did. You go there wearing a fake mustache and just say that you're him, right? Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> None of the employees at Comics on the Greens have a mustache. So Okay. Uh, and last but not least, um, it was announced this week that Marvel is going to be collect doing an omnibus of Rom's Space Night, right? Um, so apparently, like this is a huge deal because you know due to licensing things, like Rom couldn't even appear in Marvel stuff, and this is stuff that couldn't be reprinted at all anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a, a a deal with Hasbro where the rights had changed. Um, and IDW most recently had done like a reprint of the original comics, right. but now the f- fact that Marvel is doing like an omnibus of that original run is pretty crazy, you know? Yep, yep. Because I guess they were part of like the characters they created for the comic, like you know they still owned and stuff like that. Because I think the Space Wraiths they owned and stuff like that. It's really weird with that. It kind of goes to the same realm of. The Micronauts, I don't know, like, that's the same way that they had the, like, the, the company made these certain Micronauts characters for the comic, and then Marvel made up a bunch of other ones. They're like, they all know, so the Micronauts are separated and everything like that. But I love when you could get, an, like, they, they could come to terms, and now we'll have a full ROM Space Knight omnibus, because um, I hate when there's, like, gaps. Like, I have the Marvel 2-in-1s with the thing, and I think there's, like, a Doc Samson issue, uh, 
not Doc Sampson. Uh, I can't think of who it is. It's one of those like uh, pulp novels uh, guys. He was in one, and then like some other comics, they had Godzilla in. They don't have the rights to anymore, so these omnibi have gaps. So just this, I honestly think this is really cool. I know, I know. At the very least, there was like a Nova run from this time period where like Rom was featured in it, and like that issue couldn't be collected in any other collections. Right, right. Um, um, it was Doc Savage, not uh, Doc Samson. I was gonna say when you said Doc Samson and his pulp character, I'm like, oh, those aren't the same thing. He'll get there. I don't want to step on him, you know. Um, so you know, obviously, I don't know how long Rom ran for, but this is just the first like. 30 issues plus like an iron fist issue right so hopefully the other stuff that he was in will get collected it says it's volume one it's 30 issues so it's not going to be a i don't know what the price point on this is i don't know if it's going to be a little bit more because it has the hasbro logo on the cover like the planet of the apes omnibus that had the what the paramount or the universal logo on the cover right um so so it was like this chintzy little thing, but it was the same price as a normal omnibus because Paramount or Universal had to get their cut. I wonder if this will be a little bit more expensive because Hasbro needs to get their cut. But at least it's like 30 issues. It's a full-sized omnibus, right? Right. Rom Ranch, 75 issues. Okay. So like I said, this is the first you know, 29 issues plus that one issue of Power Man and Iron Fist that Rom shows up in. So I guess they're collecting like all the Rom appearances, which is pretty cool, mm-hmm. you know? Right. Yeah, I don't know. You know, so uh, it was a big news week, you know? I was never a ROM guy, though, so. Yeah, it was before my time. And because by the time that I got around into comic books, the deal had expired, so he wasn't in anything, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, people are excited about ROM, so, you know, we would be remiss not to mention it here in the news section. Right. Uh, speaking of news, this weekend, uh, the big convention, I would say, is Comic Palooza in Houston, Texas. Uh, we do have um, people from the world of comic books there. Frank Cho, Steve McNiven, Yannick Piquette uh, are going to be there, uh, as well as your typical folks that are at every convention these days, seemingly William Shatner, Stephen Amell, <laughs> going to promote his upcoming Heels Season 2, I guess. And uh, Mick Foley, who I didn't know uh, was in Heel Season 1. What? Didn't you watch all of it? No, I only watched the one episode I was forced to watch. Oh, knife point. Got you. Yeah. Um, But apparently there's like a bit where there's like a radio guy who talks about the wrestling. And the radio guy, you never see him. They just like, they're like, I'll tune into like whatever. Like Bill Jones is talking about the wrestling in our shad. Mm-hmm. And that guy is Mick Foley. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but also uh, at this uh, convention is uh, Jack Quaid, who you might know as Scream from the new Scream. Is that what they call the killer in Scream? His name is Scream? I think it is. It's Mr. Scream. Put some Mr. respect Scream. on it. Send me a dream. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's also Huey from The Boys. And uh, Anthony Starr is going to be there as well. Ooh, he's going to be milking those uh, con appearances. Uh, let me see. Let me look at his uh, uh, details. How much, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, what's-her-face who plays Andy is going to be there as well. Eh, whatever. Oh, come on. She's wearing She's... the Starlighter costume. I'm getting a marked photo. Well, listen. Uh, so... 
you can get the group photo of everyone together, and that's your best deal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, you got the photo op, and you get this. Oh, and this is the thing that I always love. Okay, so hundred bucks photo op with Homelander, right? Mm-hmm. I want to be in the full outfit. He ain't gonna be in the full outfit. I want the two of us to be holding up a glass of milk. I think I could work on that, you know? Right. Um, but this is the thing that I always like, and I will give Comic Palooza credit here. There's two different signing prices. Mm-hmm. There's flat items, such as photos or comic books or posters. Yep. Or 3D items. That's becoming a new thing, yes. Which is action figures, Funko Pops, props, etc. Right. Does it have a list of things they won't sign? Because that's always fun. Now, okay, so I assume someone like uh, an Anthony Starr doesn't have that. Like, when you get to your Shatners, that's when they have the things that they won't sign. But you're looking at a $55 difference between a flat item and a 3D item, if you will. That's because they could damage the 3D item. Hmm. I don't know. And you know who has one of those non-signed deals? Is uh, the Back to the Future guys. There's oh, that's right. We talked about it before. Where there's like certain sneakers they won't yep. sign. They won't sign because they have like a deal, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, uh, this was brought up on the porch. Something different. As we talk about fo- photo ops. Especially with Electric Mayhem coming out on Disney+. Plus. Why don't they have a di- like a Muppet photo op when they have TV shows coming up? Because you don't need an actual puppet guy. You could just have like felt like I'm not talking about the full Magilla like puppet thing. You could just get like a 3D mannequin that's got felt on it and just be like, oh, here's your photo op with certain Muppets that are going to be in that show. And you just take it from con to con. You just basically stick it out. There's a line. You come around if you got to pay or for free. And, like, Disney would be rolling in the box, man. I don't understand it. Okay. Um, I, I can understand why they don't. I, I completely get where you're coming from. But would you... And, again, I, let's just pick Animal, okay? Mm-hmm. And you go and you get your picture with the Animal puppet on a stand. And it's just kind of, like, there, lifeless, you know? Right, but you'd have it posed in a, like, ah, kind of way. Okay, but it's the same pose for everyone. And if there's a puppeteer, uh, excuse me, and um, do they call them Imagineers at Henson's <laughs> Workshop? Yeah. Or because Disney purchased them, they're just lowly puppeteers now? Right, I don't think the Muppets say the P word. So. Okay, but uh, so there's an Imagineer who's in the thing, and it gives life to the puppet. And even if it's just... In a pose, you know, animals making a face, that's not the same as, like, the thing moving around and having life, you know? Like, I could go to the store and buy an animal puppet and prop it up in the face that I wanted to make and get my picture taken next to that. And I I, I think there's a lot more, like, like, I think people would want, like, a more animated puppet, pun intended, to take a, or Muppet, excuse me, to take a picture with, (laughs) then you have... Muppet Wranglers, you have security. These are items that could very easily just be lifted and ran ran off with, you know, if they're just there on a whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, if they're not like behind a lucite case, but then now you're taking a picture with a thing be beyond a lucite case. Like it's no different than like getting your picture taken with uh Christopher Reeve's Superman suit, right? Mm-hmm. Um I there is a way to do it, but I think 
the the cost and the effort and the manpower involved, I don't know if it would be worth it to uh, the Disney Corporation. I gotcha. I just think it would have been fun, Joe. I listen. I, I'm here to squash all of your fun, Todd. That's right. You're where fun goes to die. That's right. And I'm also here to plug the soon to be named network at soon to be named network dot com at soon to be named network dot dot com. Uh, anytime any of the shows in the soon to be named network go live, you can certainly check them out at their individual feeds, their individual sites, their individual social medias. But the one stop shop for all these shows is soon to be named network.com, soon to be named network.tumblr.com. I'm not going to plug all the shows. You know all the shows now. But also, when folks from those shows go appear on other shows and they let me know, it could be up on soon to be named network.com. So you could find out what all of your favorite folks are up to. I have a podcast appearance coming up in two weeks. <gasps> it's my this first is, one in a long time. I was going to say shocked face here, Joe, that you can't it, see. It's been a long, it's been at least three months since I've been on another podcast. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm overdue, you know? Is, is it a draft or a contest or something? <laughs> no. no, it's actually something that I have a uh, very direct and intimate uh, knowledge about um, when it comes to this thing happening in the world of professional wrestling. Ooh, intimate knowledge. Yes. Color me interested. Yes. I'm not, but I'm doing it for the bit. Uh, how about this? Uh, I hope while I'm recording and while you're listening to this podcast that you're enjoying a nice apple sitting on a stage while it's going on. Right, with the biggest man you've ever seen guarding the door? Yes. <laughs> okay, I will say that was my guess. Okay. Um, it just That was requested for Between the Sheets to be coming up. Mm. Um, specifically because they wanted to have the, well, they wanted the guys to talk about that. So they're like, "You were there, Joe. You can come on and talk about it." I'm like, "All right." The NDA is officially expired, so you can see me winking into the microphone on that one. <laughs> Tune into Between the Sheets in two weeks for more of that. Um, go check out Mike Sterling's blog at progressiveruin.com. Go check out Kevin Hellion's blog at masslibrary.com. Go check out Rick Williams' store at freekaratechops.storeenvy.com. Go check out Jason Sandberg's Indiegogo for Jupiter. He just crossed the $6,800 mark ever close, ever creeping closer to 7,000. I think he has a big stretch goal planned for 8,000. Help Jason out. Jason was great when he was on the show. He's been a day one listener of this show. Uh, I put my hard-earned ducats down. I think I was the second uh, person, if not the second, the third person who supported uh, Jason's venture here. Uh, go check out Chris Runt's FortressOfComicNews.com. He does a podcast there. goes a little bit more interview-heavy. does a little bit more stuff than we do when it comes to the comic book uh, world. And uh, you could also go purchase his self-published comic, Battle Monsters, there as well. Uh, you could purchase our good friend Dave uh, from the band Cave People, his self-published comic at KeeperComic.BigCartel.com. And... 
if you do not have a comic book store in your area or you do not have a good comic book store in your area. Let our comic book store be your comic book store, Comics on the Green. I've linked up their social media Facebook page where Dave and the crew announce when all the new books have arrived, when the final order cutoff dates are for the latest and greatest books so you don't miss out on stuff. Sign up for their mail order subscription service. Get things mailed to you weekly, biweekly, or monthly. And if you do, there's a chance you can get a sketch on your package from our good friend Becky. You can go check out her social media, which is linked up here, so that you can see her prints and commissions and all the other stuff that she's up to. And if you request a commission from her, demand that whoever she's drawing from Catwoman to Betty Page right on down the line that she draws a mustache on them. Mm-hmm. So, let's get into what we've read from this past week, Todd. Where would you like to begin? I'm going to begin with the thing that uh, we were looking forward to most, which was Titans, written by Tom Taylor, art by Nicola Scott. Um, Now that the Justice League has kind of sort of been disbanded, they asked uh, Nightwing to to stand up and take up the mantle of protecting, like, the world, and he's getting the Titans back together, and that's kind of what this issue is about um and it starts out with uh wally who's a titan obviously something bad happening to him and he gets on the cosmic treadmill to be like i have to fix this kind of a deal and then we cut to like the day of them going to titan towers for the big unveiling and everything and a lot of it is centering around raven and Changeling, who will always be Changeling, not Beast Boy to me, um, you know, and their relationship and kind of how that goes. And Nightwing's still trying to, you know, pick people up. Like he goes to see Tempest, and Tempest's like, I have a, I have a side hustle going on that I think I could, you know, change the world a little bit better than you, which I'm sure will no way come back to like bump up against the Titans in any way, shape, or form. Um, during the unveiling of the Tower. Um, Titano shows up and they're trying to figure out how a giant gorilla could sneak up on this thing. They end up battling it um, and then getting the attention of uh, Peacemaker and like Amanda Waller and they're trying to like recruit the Titans but of course they're not going to go for it and then we come around to what you know happened to Wally um, and that's going to be the the through line going forward of this story right now um like how to fix it what happened kind of a deal um tom taylor love it once again i'll say this is kind of like him and we say with chip sadarsky on batman that like when he they have guest stars or characters show up i always feel like tom is writing them properly and this makes me feel like my old glory days of reading the teen titans even though they're grown up now so that's like important to me and then they look absolutely fantastic nicola scott is one of the greatest artists out there so the two of them together like bruno redondo and tom taylor on nightwing nicola scott and you know tom taylor on titans it can't read better it can't look better um i thoroughly enjoyed the opening uh issue of titans what are the odds that in the same month dc publishes two comic books that feature peacemaker and a giant gorilla um, uh, 100%. Very planned. 
um yeah so it was a shock again i didn't know nothing about this as todd mentioned tom taylor nicola scott it's a continuation of the nightwing book um and i think uh so i was like i was on board i don't need to read what's going on i don't need to know what the plot is coming into this i'm buying this regardless right um now i will say this the titans are not the justice league for better or for worse right Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there was a time where the Titans were the X-Men of the DC universe, but that was the early to mid eighties. That was a long, long time ago. Um, I think this book obviously benefits if you have been reading Nightwing because they don't give you, and they're, they're taking into consideration that you know a lot about these characters. And there's a very good chance that you do know a lot about these characters, right? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, these are some of the biggest characters in the DC universe and, you know, DC has done a lot to kind of fix or write the ship on a lot of these characters and the characters that they need to give you the more information on, as Todd mentioned, like Tempest, they do. Tempest gets, I would say, more screen time, more stuff to do in this book than Donna Troy does, than Starfire does, than Cyborg does. Yep, I would agree. Um... You know, and I think, as Todd mentioned, there's a reason for that. This was really good. I enjoyed it. But it's because of my knowledge of these characters. And it's also because I've been reading the Nightwing book. So I'm predisposed. It's like, hey, you like when these characters show up in the main book. Now this is like a second main book. And it's by the same people who like the book that you already like. Don't you like two of the same thing? And I'm not going to say that this is like, don't read this book. Read this book. It's great. We've been saying for two years now, read Nightwing. That's great, too. Um, it's not like any other Titan stuff that you've read before. This is DC attempting, at least for now, however long now is going to be, to position Titans in their universe as the Justice League. Mm -hmm. um, so it's an interesting story, at least from that that point of view, you know? Right. Um, so... I, I, I mentioned all these things. Did you read the Avengers number one or did you leave that on my plate? I left left that on your plate. You're going to oh. sell whether or not I'm going to buy it or not. OK, so um, we get in the same week two new number ones from the big two companies, um, Avengers and Titans. Again, Titans replacing Justice League on the schedule, if you will, and at least in the the grandiose whatever. Um and it's two issues that are very different, different, but also very similar in their own ways. So uh, Avengers number one, written by Jed McKay with art by C.F. C. Avila. Um, this is Carol Danvers, who is just had or is in the process of having her solo book canceled. Um, this is her building her Avengers team. Now, again, am I going to say that her Avengers team is spoiled on the cover of the first issue? Yeah. But is it a spoiler to say that it's an Avengers team that has Captain America and Thor and Iron Man and Vision and Scarlet Witch and Black Panther on it? I don't think that's a spoiler. I think that's a pretty safe bet for an Avengers team, right? Right. Um, But this is more so... They're doing a battle with Terminus, and it's Carol going around and individually recruiting each member of the team. So even if you know Thor, and even if you know Iron Man, and even if you know, uh, you know Sam Wilson, Captain America, and everything else like that, this is Carol explaining to you, the reader, but also to the person she's recruiting, like, 
why she's picking them for the team and kind of catching you up to where they are and whatever's going on in the Marvel universe. Mm-hmm. And there's no like big cliffhangery thing. It's a team building thing. They beat Terminus. I know that's no shock to anyone. <laughs> um, but I think this ends up being the more reader friendly book. Um, just because it's it, like, I, and I'll say this. So I guess, I, you know, we, we talk about like, we're kind of out of event comics, you know, we don't read the big sweeping events. Um, I don't remember if it was on mic or off mic. I'm going to guess it was off mic, but with the big DC summer event called night terrors, mm-hmm. um, you know, the two of us are looking at it as like a reprieve, because there's a Night Terrors miniseries that's going on over the course of, like, three months. Right. Um, it's, like, two issues a month for three months. And it's crossing over into a bunch of the books that we read. And for those three months, the a chunk of the books that we read aren't written by the people that write the books that we read currently. Right. So They're like, just oh, going away. They're just going away and being replaced with Night Terror Flash. You know yeah. Yeah. But, like, Night Terror Superman is being written by Joshua Williamson, who's doing the event, right? Right. Uh, Night Terror Shazam is being written by Mark Wade, so I'm getting that. Uh, Night Terror's Nightwing is not written by Tom Taylor, so I don't need to get that that month. So I got three months of no Nightwing, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But there was apparently a big, giant event that just happened in Marvel on the Avengers side of things where Tony Stark did something with the Celestials and everyone on Earth got judged. And they kind of sort of just like wrapped that whole thing up in the Vision recruitment speech. Mm -hmm. Where, and again, spoilers for that event of like Vision, of course, is having a crisis like, am I man or machine? You know, when the whole thing with the Celestial happened, they they didn't judge me and they didn't not judge me. They just ignored me. And Carol is like, who were you or anyone to let anyone else judge you for who you are? Right. You are who you make yourself. That's pretty cool. Right. You know, and like there's cool character bits in there like this. And like they do a bit where I guess during that whole event it was revealed that Black Panther was on the outs with everyone because he did the Tower of Babel gimmick <laughs> to the rest of the Avengers. So it's one of those things where like none of the Avengers initially trust Black Panther being on the team, but Carol's like, if you trust me, you trust him. I'm staking my reputation on him. Any problems you have with him, you have with me. And if you have a problem with him, you have a problem with me, you have a problem with the team, you can go. Right. So there's the a lo- lot of cool character bits like that to kind of reposition the more familiar Avengers characters in a new book. I really liked it. Cool. Maybe I'll have to give it a try. The thing that may push me over the edge, are they all wearing leather jackets? No, they're not, not a single one of them are wearing leather jackets. That kind of, uh, I guess I'll have to look past that. So. All right. Um, and I think, and I'll just throw this out there as well. Um, there's a fun bit where Carol goes to recruit Sam to be on the team. And Sam is currently training with Steve at the time. Mm -hmm. So Captain Marvel is going to Captain America to recruit Captain America for the team. And they have a cute little bit there regarding that. Right. That's all. Okay. 
It's, it was a very fun book. It was a very easily accessible book. And like I said, I think that's what it comes down to is not to say that Titans wasn't good and Titans wasn't accessible. was. I just feel the Avengers book was a little bit more accessible. Like, you can give that to someone who hasn't read a Marvel comic in forever. And, like, they don't have to be bogged down by another book. They don't have to be bogged down by another event because they brush by the event. And it's just like, here's a bunch of familiar faces that you know. Let's go on an adventure. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, so that's what we read this past week. Let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, every Tuesday around noon Eastern time, we put up the pull post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week. Whether you get your books in print, whether you get them digitally, whether you get them sent to your home, be forewarned, be forearmed, know what's coming out this week. Todd and I attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. I am currently in the lead with three correct guesses over Todd, and I am going to look at your list and stroke my chin. And I'm going to say the book you are most looking forward to coming out this week is Nightwing number 104. It is Nightwing 104. I wanted to give you a little uh, hesitation there. Um, but yes, I'm, there's, it's a close, like, Green Arrow, Justice Society. Thor is actually Thanos, Thor, and Doctor Doom going at each other. So it's like, oh, I could have picked any of them. But coming off Titans, uh, Tom Taylor, that's it. Um, I'm looking over your list, and I'm probably going to lose ground again. You're going to get one. Um, but is the book you're looking forward to most, Fury number one? No. It's not. It's just Society of America. No. It's uh, anything but the book that I'm going to pick next. It's Nightwing 104. Gotcha. Uh, really been enjoying Nightwing 104. Um, you know, Justice Society, unfortunately, um, due to mounting delays, <laughs> lost some steam. What? Uh, and the Fury book is written by Al Ewing, and it's a Nick Fury like anniversary book. Right. Um, with like a bunch of like pinups and short stories and stuff, but like the main through line through it is Al Ewing. And, you know, Al Ewing is right now kind of in the X verse. He's taken over Thor come August, so I'll be back on Thor when he picks that up. Um, but I, I always like to support Al Ewing just based on his um, uh, Immortal Hulk run, you know? Yes. Yeah. Getting into the X Men world is a, is a bridge too far for me. Um, it's like, oh, I want to support Al Ewing, but I don't want to buy 40 books a month that are just X-Books, you know? What? The X-Books never cross over into each other? They're just a constant crossover. It's never stopped. <laughs> uh. They never cross over because they're always crossing over. Right. They never stop crossing over. Exactly. There's uh, a bit somewhere. I guess. Um, so, hey, while you're over at longboxheroes.com, be sure to check out all the other stuff that Todd and I are up to, whether it be past episodes of this show, uh, past episodes of Longbox Heroes After Dark, or our current ongoing saga of Todd and Joe Have Issues, where we are doing our reread of Neil Gaiman's Sandman. Yes, we're doing the first 75 issues of the story. But as you saw last week, we also did a story that was printed on the side of a Bowen statue that came out in 1991. <laughs> We're going to hit all the miniseries. We're going to hit all the one-shots. We're going to hit all the short stories that pop up in Vertigo Jam stuff. Uh, the list was curated by someone who I would say is nary a Sandman expert in his own right and his own uh, mind. So I defer to him, but sometimes, you know, how I assign things gets a little fouled up. But... 
Uh, this week, we are looking at issues 39 and 40, and uh, I'm going to turn things over to said Sandman expert himself. Right. Starting off with issue 39, written by Neil Gaiman, art by John Watkiss. Um, you know, starting out in uh, 1273, Marco Polo is, you know, traveling in the deserts and he has gotten lost. And, you know, you know, Neil's describing what it's like to be lost in the desert. Like he does a little bit where he's like the sands in his mouth um, and he has to spit it out and he curses the lost, not of water, but of moisture. I like that bit of a line because, um, you know, that's you want to save every amount of uh moisture that you can to survive in the desert um and he ends up like getting uh you know falling down he's like wiping the sand out of his eyes and he's talking about how he learned from you know people about the magic sand man that comes and you know when it's time for you to sleep and he sprinkles it and uh it's kind of like the the the, the myth that we all know but in it he's like in the in the sand as he's thinking about it, he's like he can almost see the patterns that uh that are in the sand there's something about the patterns kind of the deal so he's like wandering the desert looking for his caravan slash his father i believe he starts hearing music and like from the lyrics there's like these are definitely not of their time they're like one of the so- songs is like won't you come home bill bailey um so Things are weird, and he ends up hearing somebody calling his name, and he figures it's the caravan. But it's this guy, and I, I don't know how to say his name, um, but he's like, oh, I was calling to my friend Marco. I was in jail, and he was my cellmate, and his name is Marco Millions. And he's like, oh, okay. Um, where are we? I'm supposed to be in jail. And he's like, oh, we're in the desert of Lop. And he starts, and the, the, the new guy starts explaining, he's like, the desert of Lop, and he ends up doing this vast paragraph where he's talking about how you can get lost in there once you go into the desert of Lop. You might, you meet, Lop might even mean once you go in, you don't come out, kind of a deal. He goes, and in there, you'll hear all sorts of things that'll distract you, um, and there's even, like, occasionally you'll hear thundering uh, hoof p- print sounds of people, like an army, kind of running through. They'll distract you, and you'll get lost, so all the tricks that you kind of do to keep you from you know get it getting lost and he's like and i i memorized all that from my cellmate um who had visited this desert he's like who's that and he's like marco polo and he's like that's me and he's like ah bah, i should have known i'm dreaming and he's like no wait I, I, but wouldn't i be dreaming and they're like no you're dreaming so they have an argument over like who's dreaming what's real or not um and then they go, well, maybe we can find someone to help us out here. Find someone. And they're like, there's going to be nobody out here. No one at all. But what he, do you know, Joe? So, right. He's looking for his father's caravan. Right. Is Marco Polo. That's where right. he's. That's the beacon that he's lost to trying to get to, you know? Right. So they see a fire and they go over and it's Fiddler's Green just hanging out. And he's like, uh, he's like, ah, you know. Who, who are you? And he's like, oh, he's like, yeah, we're, he's like, come sit. We're in one of the soft places, which I'll explain in a little bit. Um, and he ends up talking to them and they asked him, he's like, we have to ask you, are you a dream? He's like, you know, kind of. He's like, they're like, oh, see, I, I told you. And he's like, basically, I'm, you know, I've come uh, out here to what? 
<laughs> no, go ahead. So they ask. So uh, Marco Polo asks them directly, and again, you know, I hate reading from stuff, but I think you're about to get there, so I am going to step on you for this one. Uh, mm-hmm. Where Marco Polo is like, "Sir, forgive me for asking, but are you a dream?" And Fiddler Green says, "Oh yes." And the other guy's like, "See?" And uh, it's like, "So, my friend, uh, you know, we have the wine, uh, female company." And Fiddler Green says, bless my soul, no. I'm trying to get away from all that regarding female company. Uh, the only reason I'm out here is because they keep coming for long walks in me. Long ones, gazing into each other's <laughs> eyes, whispering sweet and, to be frank, rather embarrassing nothings. So I've taken an evening off. Right. Which, like, and he ends up saying a little bit later, you know, and this is solid. He goes, in my time, 1992, right? So uh, we know that this is definitely past, uh, you know, what storylines, and this must be a new love interest for Morpheus. Yes. You know what I mean? They're very subtle about it, though. You know what I mean? Like, like we get that one line there, you know, that one line there, and I'd say subtle as a bag of hammers, but, like, she'll come out and say, Morpheus has a new girlfriend, and I don't like her, you know? Um, The people in the Dreaming are a little bit more eloquent than folks like you or I, but already they're playing with some wibbly, wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. Mm-hmm. Because we get the thing at the beginning that says this takes place in, what, 1267? Um, I'm just looking right now, 1273. Right, so 1273, and then Fiddler's Green, like, na- like specifically cites, like, 1992. And when he's going through, I- and I think the nod to that, Todd, uh, would be when Fiddler's Green is going through his satchel of the different things that he has of sustenance, one of the things that he has is jelly babies, Oh my God, nectar! You know, uh, manna from heaven, Joe. Uh-huh. Uh huh. You've had a jelly baby, haven't you? It's been a long time. I'd like to forget about it, but thank uh, you. Okay. So, and also the other guy is from Marco Polo's future, and they kind of wrote the the Marco Polo, like you know, traveling China and the world and everything. So we find out that he's thirty, you know, thirty years into the future, and Marco basically, you know, Fiddler's Green asks him for his story, and he ends up, you know, uh basically saying about traveling the world when he was younger with his father. I'm not going to go into all that. Um, But he's like, oh, and I went and I saw the cities and this and that. And that's what the other guy says. Yes, that was kind of your genius. Like you were the, you, your, your, your genius was being able to explain like very well to the masses what it was. And even Kublai Khan, he never really went out to the cities. You did. And you came back and he was just enamored with, uh, uh, all your uh, explanations. So I, I found that kind of cool. Um, as this going on, like a ghostry, ghostly parade of like people on horses uh, end up showing up and they're like looking for the way out of the desert. They've been in here for, you know, uh, have been searching for thousands of years and they end up asking uh, uh, Fiddler's Green. He's like, you're not, you're not looking for me. You're looking for my master kind of a deal. He goes, well, if, if we did get out of here, what would happen? And they go through the thing. Like some of us think if we went back as we were here thousands of years, we would just die and crumble the dust. Some people would think, you know, we would return to the moment that we left. Um, uh, you know, and we would forget this longingness of running through the deserts and everything. Uh, what kind of, what is the answer? And he's like, don't know. He's like, all right. So they go off and ride. And I like, maybe that's where Marco is remembering this when he writes about you know earlier in the story being 
distracted by the sound of hoofs and people riding that you think. So it's kind of like he's getting this story and he won't write about it for another 20 years. Um, just kind of a, a brilliance. Um, and then he ends up saying, well, anything could happen like this in these soft places. And then he ends up breaking down the soft places that like they're on the edge of time, especially on the end uh, edges of the dreaming. And that's how the three of us from different times can be here, you know, and I actually blame you guys, the explorers, because there used to be so many more of these places. But in the time that you've explored so many things, they've gone away and there's not um, many of them left. Um, so he's like, uh, but I'm going to get going. I have to go back to my place. Have a good day. Um, and they're kind of there and he's like, oh, well, now one of us is going to wake up and you know, you're the dream. He's like, I'm not a dream. Like, I'm Marco Polo. He's like, well, then who's dreaming who, boy? And they kind of, like, he disappears. And Marco's yelling around, and he ends up running up, like, coming up on Morpheus. And he's like, uh, he asks him for help, and he says, are you a dream as well? I like that. He goes, yes. Yes, I am dream. I like that, like, the are you a dream? He's like, yeah, yeah. He mishears him. He's like, yes, I am a dream. And I've just been kind of, you know, freed from captivity. So this is Morpheus from issue one going home to the dreaming. And he's like, I'm so weak. And he's like, oh, okay, well, here's some water. And Morpheus is like, thank you. Um, and he's like, uh, yeah, I was just talking to somebody. You're the Lord of this place. He was just talking about you and your love. And he's like, did you say who this woman was? And he's like, no. And I like this line. He's like, it's not important. It has, ha it has happened already, or it still is yet to come. And forewarned is seldom forearmed, even in these shifting zones. And he's like, okay. Yeah. He's like, we're in a soft place. He's like, yeah, that's kind of what this is. Um, can you help me? I'm lost in the desert a lot. And that's when he goes out, ah, you, you come in, you don't go out. He goes, please, I, I, I want to go home. And he's like, I can, I can understand that. I know how it feels to be like trapped kind of a deal. And this is literally the first moment, like wibbly wobbly, timey wimey of Sandman being kind to someone where he never would have done it before. And he even says like, I could send you back, but it's going to make my journey even tougher. Um, and he's like, okay, here you go. Hold out your hands. And he does the sand and like, it's poetry because it rhymes. He goes, I see everything in the sand falling, like all the patterns everything like there's no way i'm ever going to forget this this is with me and then he wakes up and they they the caravan finally was like boy you had us worried you were lost he's like yes but the patterns he's like what it's like the patterns in, in the sand he's like i i can't remember it just like any thing like you know dream that you have you usually don't remember it and in the end he's just like you know let's go you, you know you're nearly killed and thus it is they cross the desert uh a really good issue that like has a big part later on down the line. Yeah. And I think that's where a lot of uh, like, uh, and again, this might be crazy to say, but like, is this the weakest issue we've read to date? I don't think it's the weakest issue. Um, but I think what it is, is once again, you know how it is with the, Sher the Sherlock Holmes issue, the Shakespeare issue. We, we don't have like, we didn't have a big knowledge of Shakespeare. I think like if you did the, if you knew a deep dive into Marco Polo, this all makes sense. And like when he was in jail with this guy, it did happen. Um, I don't think it's weak. I just think it's dense 
And if we had a better knowledge of Marco Polo, it makes it much cooler. But we're not well-schooled, Joe. Right, and I think that's what a lot of it comes into is, like, I think I could fake my way through Shakespeare knowledge than I can through Marco Polo knowledge, you know? Right, other than yelling his name trying to find somebody, so. Right, exactly. (laughs) But, like, Like we get get interesting bits in the story, you know? Yep, especially Um, the love life and uh, Morpheus, this is his first moment after issue one, all the way, you know, in issue 39. (laughs) Right. Anything um, else? So, next we have issue 40. And this is a little bit more... Uh, this is a little bit more... We get everyone... All, all the gang is here, you know? Right. And um, this is, like, you know, drawn by mostly by Vince Locke. But there's some Jill Thompson metal in here. Stuff like that. Um, so, basically, it starts out with Lyda, with little Daniel... And uh, she's like talking to a friend on her phone, how she's going crazy as, you know, a single mother kind of a deal. And I do like all the bits that she does about like how when she's not even around the kid, she's in the child mindset. Like, ooh, look, there's a fire engine, but there's nobody around. So everybody's looking at her like she's insane kind of a deal. Uh, So Um, obviously reading this at the time. Um, mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, yes, those are funny jokes. But then as becoming a parent, I did and do many of those things right i was gonna actually ask you that yes Um, but i do like that he's like oh she's like all this crazy stuff and like you know my vcr stops working and there's a carrot inside when i go to fix it because daniel just gets everywhere and it won't be long before he figures out how to get out of his crib and joe wouldn't you know it daniel figures out how to get out of his crib he starts crawling around and then all of a sudden He's in the dreaming and he's with Gregory, the gargoyle. And he's like doggy and Matthew's there. And he's like birdie. He's like, Oh, a kid like, ah, come on, come on along with us. And I like that. He's like, Oh, up the steps, like every one at a time. And Eve ends up showing up and he's like, what are you doing here? Why are you, why are you out of your cave? She's like, I don't always have to dwell in nightmares. He's like, well, I don't know. This place seems like a stick. The leader seems like a stickler for rules. So I figured you oh, would. Oh. So that okay, so that's a great point that you bring that up. Um, okay, uh, okay, yeah, stickler for rules. Um, da, 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 hang on, where is it? Sometimes I think he makes them up as he goes along, and then Eve very matter of factly says, "No, he made them up a very long time ago. It's part of his nature, making rules." Yep. Um, I love those bits about Morpheus's character that we get along the way. You know, like all of these people that live in his realm that I don't want to say are subservient to him, uh, but definitely are in his thrall, if you will, have such a I don't want to get I don't want to say a negative opinion of him, but have a very not positive opinion of him. Right. Um, But and it immediately every time you get a, a tidbit, it never contradicts the thing. you You know what I mean? It's he's very like almost like one track pony kind of a deal, right? Um, so they get there and they're kind of like, well, what's the kid's story? And they, they get to the house of secrets and Abel is there, and he's basically like, that's Daniel. His name is Daniel. Um, come on into my house, and he ends up like offering them refreshments, and uh, the he. Matthew ends up talking a little bit about like what it's like to be a raven. That he thought it would just be a man in a raven's body, but he's 
very Raven-esque the way he thinks because like what he asked for the food, like uh, like you know, wrote it preferably with the eyes. Those are the best parts. Um, they're talking about all the different birds, kind of a deal. Um, <laughs> and 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 Matthew as a Raven is very uh, birdist, I guess you would say. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. Rooks are weird, and uh, jackdaws are okay. Uh, magpies are cool, even though they got their own counting rhyme. But crows are as dumb as stuff. You know what I mean, Joe? Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's got all the stereotypes for birds. Now, I will um, say, not to knock uh, 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 Matthew here, they say crows are actually very smart and can be trained. Mm-hmm. You could train crows to, like, attack things. Uh, crows learn. Um you know, like, if you put one crow amongst other crows, and that one crow does something to, mm-hmm. like, capture food, um, they've noticed that of other, like, m- m- migratory birds like that, crows will pick up the habits of other crows much quicker than other birds will pick up the habits of other birds. Does that make any sense? No, I got you, because I once heard this story about crows in England, Yeah, that they if you let out bottles, like whatever version of the bottles, milk bottles that they had in England, that the crows learned how to open the, the, the tops, you know what I mean? To be able to drink the milk. And there were certain types of thing. And then the war came and they changed the tops. Yeah. And then like a whole generation of crows died and it's learned behavior. When they brought those top backs, crows who had never seen them knew how to open them up immediately. It's almost like their behavior once learned transcends like it's hereditary and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. It's fascinating. I didn't mean to get off track, but I love no, it. Listen, I like, I like talking about crows. <laughs> That's right. Uh, you're more of a raven guy, though. I um, listen, Al. Yeah, more of a flamingo guy, really. But <laughs> right, that's me. I'm a flamingo guy. But uh, so they're they end up, you know, having their their meal and talking, and you know, and I don't want to do the stutter, but Abel does have a stutter, which is important to mention. And he asks how Lord Morpheus is, and he's like, once again, we get our second bit. He's like, I'm not sure. I mean, he uh, he's been pretty inseparable like with his lady friend recently like everywhere they go uh, uh, every time they they go hand in hand and eve's like oh dear and matthew's like what do you mean she's really not his type and i like matthew's like i didn't even think he had a type kind of a deal and once again that's it mentioning the lord and his you know new new love and Kane shows up. And I love that it, whenever Kane shows up, he's like, you're having a party without me. And immediately Abel starts backpedaling. He's like, no, no, like uh, everything. And he's like, basically, he's like, oh, please, no, don't be any trouble kind of a deal. Um, and he's like, oh, it's it's all of us. Look, it's a family reunion. Kane, Abel, Eve. Um, why don't we uh, start telling some stories? Like, uh, why don't you tell a secret or something like that? And Kane's like, no, mysteries are much better. And I do like that Matthew says, uh, get out of here you in your creepy Vincent Price voice. Kind of a deal. <laughs> He's like that bargain basement vaudevillain. He sounds nothing, vaudevillian. He sounds nothing like me. So he's like, well, how about a mystery? He goes, we're going we're gonna to tell you a mystery. The mystery of Rooks, because, you know, Kane has the house of mystery and Abel has the house of secrets. And he basically talks about the Rooks, how, like, They'll just do, I'm going to make it short. They do this thing where once in a while they'll all circle around one crow who lands. And then he will, that crow will 
uh, Rook will just like you know start chirping, to- like whatever you want to call it, and they will stand around, and then after a while, um, with no rhyme or reason that anybody can figure out, they will do one of two things: either they will take flight, or they will just peck it to death. And somebody asked like, "Why?" He's like, "It it's a mystery." And uh, he's like, "All right, well, you know, mother, why don't uh, you?" tell a story kind of a deal. And she goes, I, I, I don't tell. He's like, storytelling never stops. You used to tell stories. It's in your blood. Tell a story. So she's okay. So she ends up telling the story of Adam and Eve, but her version of Adam and Eve, you know, starts out with, it wasn't the, the Eve wasn't the first one. The first one was Lilith. Um, you know, they were made from like back to back from the same body kind of a deal. And she was kind of different. Like she was maybe, dominant to his masculine masculinity like you know in the bible kind of thing and that was uh she thought she was superior maybe and that was the final straw so she was exiled and i've actually even before this i heard this uh fable you know what i mean but i remember like this becoming popular and he goes and then there was a second one (laughs) this okay go ahead this is my favorite yeah and i this is the one that sticks with me he's like what was her name Never had a name. It's lost to time if there ever was. And God just made this one, you know, out of nothingness and like did the bit where it's like, oh, the, you know, it just starts building the bones and the meat and the organs and, you know, the eyeball and like the way that Neil writes it, it's like the muscle, the sinew, the fat, the bile, the eyes, the snot, the skin, the hair, the breath. And Adam got to see all this and he was totally grossed out by it just as i would be and she kind of just you know well, i, I want to so i want to read this part of course uh adam saw her full of secretions and blood bodies are strange some people have real pl- problems with the stuff that goes on inside them you find out that inside someone you know there's just mucus and meat and slime and bone uh sometimes it can just kill the romance such a great line oh such good stuff i love it you know joe and if there's anyone on this show who can understand adam's ickiness by this it's me (laughs) i totally understand this so then in the end she just basically explains the you know the, the 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 biblical version of eve from the rib and that they were cast out because they were afraid he was gonna eat they eat from the the other apple after she tried the first one um and uh, so that's kind of the thing. Well, no, uh, no, no. So again, they, she says it a little bit differently, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, we get the story that's like your popular religious story that, you know, God created Adam from taking a rib and making Eve in that way. And then Eve, in telling the story, says only when she was complete did Adam wake. He saw Eve finished and perfect and took her to wife. And they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And knowing good from evil, they were no longer in paradise. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you know, the story is they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, which they were, but that was because now they had the ability to choose, right? They knew the difference between good and evil after eating from the Tree of Knowledge. Right, and they were worried that they were going to eat. God was also worried they were going to eat from the Tree of Life, too. Um, so, it, yeah, but I get it. And I also like that she kind of... And she kind of never blames it on Eve when she says, like, she's like, and they ate from the tree of knowledge. She never says it was Eve's fault. Do you know what I mean? Right. 
because she's telling the story. Why would she say, you know, if, she, well, we'll get to that, whether or not she's Eve. Um, so it's now uh, Abel's turn to tell him the stories like, well, you know, I don't know. I'm not very good with children. Like he's stuttering and stuff. He's like, and then I like the bit where Kane, he's like, well, you know, a lot of secrets. And he ends up telling you like going through the bits of like what all like secrets he could tell them. And one of my favorite is like, tell him about the girl who could drink only tears and how she fell in love with a woman who had never learned to cry. And I'm like, Neil has that story under his belt somewhere. <laughs> and maybe someday for like the 50th anniversary of Sandman, old man Neil is going to like write that story. Um, but he's like, okay, I'm going to tell him a children's story. And he ends up telling them about, and this is the classic term from the little endless. And he ends up talking about dream and, and death and everything. And like they always say, death was a little older than dream because things had the potential to die before they could dream. And I always like that, that that's the order that the endless are in by what, you know, if you first you're born, so you have a destiny. And then, you know, if you're born, you're going to draw die, then dream and through the rest. And I like Kane immediately has problems with any way, shape or form that Abel is telling the story. He's like, they didn't look like kids and, you know, blah, 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 a little morphous, little death. This is like, leave me alone. I'm going to tell the story. And he tells the story of Cain and Abel about how they were fighting over the sacrifice. And, uh, God liked his sacrifice more because the sheep was all, you know, funny and fluffy and like Cain's losing his mind. And basically, uh, they started to fight. And I like the way Abel tells the story. He's never like mean about his brother, but, Cain kills him and death's like, come with me. And Sam is like, what if I, you know, you don't have to go with her. What if I build you a garden and you could tell your, you know, you could have a little house and tell all sorts of stories. And he's like, what kind of stories? It's like secret stories. It's like, okay. Um, so he gave him the house and his letter of commission and he had it all and he's there, but he goes to Morpheus cause he's, he's sad. He's like, what's the matter? He's like, I'm lonely. Would you like a friend? He goes, go home and there's going to be somebody waiting for you. And it was, Kane and he has the house of, of mysteries and he's got his letter of commission and they were brothers and they hugged together and they lived happily ever after next door. Like all everything that Abel wishes it was. And I like the letters of commission all the way back in issue two were what Sandman used to get his power back after being captured. Um, absolutely fantastic. Um, so they kind of ask questions like Matthew's like, oh, well, all this stuff. You're talking about Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. Where does this fit in with the dinosaurs and everything? Um, and Abel starts like, it wasn't on Earth. He's like, shut up. Like, what's the point of having secrets and mysteries if you're just going to blab them? He's like, like the Parliament of Rooks. Like, it's just, you got to keep it a secret. He's like, okay, but I could if I wanted to. I could, I could tell these secrets. And he's like... But you won't. And there's that menacing look of Kane, like you're not. He's holding the red hot poker. So everybody is leaving now. Matthew, Eve, um, Daniel. And he's like, What are you thinking about? He's like, Well, I'm thinking about those rooks. And he's like, Matthew, uh, he yells out, uh, he's like, the story is like basically the rooks in the middle is telling a story. It's the storyteller. And then when he finishes it, he finds out whether the birds liked it or not. They like it, they fly up. If they don't, they peck them to death. And Cain loses it. 
he ends up like, I can't believe you gave him one of my mysteries. Like you gave it away. It's like, but it wasn't one of the big ones. It's like, it does not matter. Like, a, you know, I keep telling you, it's the mystery that endures, not the explanation. A good mystery can last forever. And he's like, so he ends up killing him and throwing him in the fire and saying, See you for tomorrow. It's your turn to make dinner, which I just, the callousness of Kane is absolutely fantastic because Abel will keep coming back. We go. Uh, uh, Lida is there. She's, you know, reading her book and she ends up hearing Daniel. She goes in the room and she's like, What a feather? Where'd you get this dirty feather from? Oh, I guess you kids get everywhere. End of stage. Uh, so good. This so is good. such a dense issue. Yeah, we get yeah. so much information about these side characters. Um, and obviously at this point, I would say that Sandman is pretty successful. We're 40 issues in. If I do my Gazintas, you know, that means the book has been going on for over three years at this point. You know, obviously if it mm-hmm. wasn't, it would be canceled. Um, you know, they're going to start building the Vertigo line around, you know, Sandman as the linchpin, the thing that's going to hold up an entire line of books. Um, that they fold into it, that they're already printing and so forth. Um, but if this was a different book or a different writer or a different situation, this feels as though the pitch for the dreaming book of the Sandmanless Sandman book. Mm-hmm. Where you're getting this more information of these stories, and like maybe we could do a House of Mysteries book, maybe we can do a House of Secrets book, maybe if we flesh out these characters a little bit more, we could spin them all off into their own separate things, right? Right. Um, but I don't think that that's what you know. Like I'm sure DC and Warner and everyone else was looking at this as crash commercialization, but I'm sure Neil was like, no, it's important that we know about these characters, you know. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, it was always part of his grand plan. You know what I mean? Right. Like, and something that I didn't bring up, I like the fact that Abel doesn't stutter while he's telling a secret story. Yeah. Which is fantastic. And there's everything about it. And this ended up, because of this, we got a little, little, little death miniseries by, uh, by uh, uh, Jill Thompson. You know what yep. I mean? And this was Jill Thompson's tryout. For brief lives, like the little bit that she did, you know what I mean? Like, as Neil explained, like I, I mentioned, that he would get these fill-in artists for like a little bit to try out to see how he liked them for uh, an, a, an ongoing, like a, a full storyline. And that's why she does brief lives next. And Joe, I may have said this. I may have said that I like Preludes and Nocturnes. And I may say that I like Doll's House. And I may say that I like Seasons of Mist. And I may say that I like Game of You. And I may say that I like all the one-shots and everything. But you know what, Joe? I really like Brief Lives. And I can't wait to read this story. Yep. So with the way the schedule is working out, we are going to read through Brief Lives starting next week. Um, you know, if you're following along in single issues, of course, uh, that is going to be issues 41 and 42. Um, if you are following along in the trades, uh, that is trade number seven. I believe so. Yes. Uh, we will come back to trade six here, which we just finished up these two issues with because issue 50 is there. Uh, but we're not going to be hitting that one for at least another two, three, four, five, six, uh, for about another two months. Uh, just the way that these things get collected, you know? Uh, but it's pretty smooth sailing here through Brief Lives. Um, and then once we're done with Brief Lives, we got a couple, fi- you know, a couple short stories. And then we're going to do the uh, Death mini series just to kind of tip things off as to where we're going with everything, you know? Yes, yes. 
Um, so obviously, you know, we mentioned all of this other stuff, and I would, I, you know, we have the plugs, and we'll get to the plugs shortly. But we had a uh, Todd's art attack this week, did we not? Yes, we did. Um, a new addition to my Hall of Hex art exhibit. Love that phrase, by the way. It was a Moritat Jonah Hex with a little sketch on the back because um, he did All Star Western. Um, and I like the fact that he drew the little bit on there. And I, I'm guessing it's Tallulah Black. She doesn't have a lot of the scars, but it's just a quick do, uh, doodle where it says, Bartender, why you reckon DC comic don't make ongoing Jonah Hex comic no more? And I'm like, oh, thank you, Moritat. That's absolutely fantastic. But uh, that's a beautiful piece. He explained to me like what he was using. He was using like uh, like a certain kind of acrylic paint and then like that type of pen of the same paint. And there's like watercolors involved. And he completely lost me. But the one thing that I did know is that it came out real purdy, Joe. That blue is gorgeous. Right. So, you know, Moritat, I think you had said was the regular, uh, the, for the most part, the regular artist on All-Star Western out of New 52, yes. right? Yes. You did not see, like, if you look at Jonah, that Jonah is the color palette that he used and you saw in uh, All-Star Western. You did yes. not see a blue like the blue that's in that. Mm-mm. And I tell you. Is that a pretty piece? 100%. Does that blue just make it pop so much more because it's so different than anything that his Jonah, Moritat's Jonah, has ever looked at or been in front of? One million percent. Right. And it's a funny story because I I think you know that like I knew Moritat from almost like a decade ago. Maybe. From New York Comic Con, we got drunk at one of the DC parties, had a blast. I went back and he was like, oh, I remember you kind of a deal. And then we kind of parted ways. And I wanted this piece for my collection because I say in this that now I have a piece from every artist who did like every major run of Jonah Hex over the years. I could add to it, but feels good to have something from every run. And I was like, oh, but I need a more text. I just have the sketch in my sketchbook. I want something to hang up. So I was going to try and get this last year because his rep has a page where at the time they were just like, these are all the people that are available for commission. And Christmas came in 2021. And I was like, oh, I'm going to pay for that. Come the first of 2022, I'll buy one. Well, they took them all down off the page on 2022. And that's when the rep started doing like, we're going to just do a rotation of these people who do commissions. And anytime I would ask this guy, he would say, I'm sorry, just subscribe to our newsletter. And when his turn comes up, you'll know. I was like, okay, I tried this a couple of times. And then I was in one of my message boards for like commissions and art and stuff like that. And I was, I put his name in Mortat and I saw like earlier that year uh, in 2020, 2021, that this woman who I met with him at one of the cons was like, oh, I'm at a con. Um, he's slow. If you want a commission, contact me and I'll handle mailing it out because his reps aren't around. This is just something to get him some money while he's at the show. And I wrote in that, that's over a year and a half old. I was like, Kira, blah, blah, blah. It's Todd. Kind of what we met. And like, like I met him. He drew this for me. And I tell her the whole story. She's like, I remember you. I said, is this open still? Is there any way I can get a commission? And she DMs me and she's like, I'll, I'll get you in contact with him because I don't have his email. 
and the rep chimes in. He's like, excuse me, Mr. Roker. Moritat's commission list is closed and it will open. Go to the newsletter. I'm like, good luck with that, buddy. I have his real email now, right? <laughs> so I get the email and we start talking. I'm like, hey, it's me. He's like, I remember you. I'm like, that picture we took with the Wonder Woman cosplay. I'm like, here it is. He's like, blah, blah, blah. Great to talk to you. We're talking about everything other side. He goes, I would love to draw you a hex piece. Love to you. But I got deadlines. And I'm like, fine. I'm not that guy. And I'm not even looking for a freebie. I want to pay you. So he goes, okay. So I, he goes, contact me every once in a while. I was like, no, I can't do it. No, I can't do it. So we're gone. So then after about like four months, I forget about it. I'm like, oh, here's the email. And I contact back. He goes, oh, you didn't get that? He goes, oh, I'm a wacky artist. I did that. I sent that to my rep to send to you. But I was like, I, we never talked about my address, whatever. He goes, yeah, I'm a stupid artist. That's the way we handle business. I'm more about the art. He's like laughing the whole time. We're having a good time. He goes, he goes all right, I'll contact the artist or the rep. So he's, all right, I emailed him. He should be in touch with you. A week goes by, a week and a half. I go, more time. And he never gets mad at me. He's like laughing. He's like, yeah, I'll, I'll contact him again. A couple weeks. We do this three or four times. And he goes, because if you notice, the, 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 the year on the piece is 2022. So it's June already. I get it. And he goes, all right. I go, do you want me to email him? And he goes, yeah, you email him. I email him, nothing happens. So finally, Moritat emails the rep and CCs me in the copy. Oof, right? He's like, have you gotten Todd's email? And now the rep answers back. And he's like, oh, yes, I've been busy. It was the first thing to do on my list, right? Oh, sure. And so now he's like, well, what, what would you like? I, let me know when I can send you an invoice. I said, you can send me an invoice whenever. Is PayPal good for you? Two weeks go by, right? <laughs> so I go back into the CC with Moritat. Like that email, I'm like, hey, uh, you want that PayPal money? He's like, and he goes, all right, I'll finally sends me the invoice. And I end up paying them. And it comes, and I will say, great, great, you know, packing, beautiful. Could have drove a truck over it. And I end up telling them. And, me, you know, there's something I have to tell you off air, too. I don't want to do it here. <laughs> but uh, I do think I may have chapped the, 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 the rep, if you know my meaning. Because yeah. I've never had anybody drag their feet. Like I and well, first of all, I've never had an artist chase the rep to get me art. I've had the rep chase the artist, but I never had the the artist chase the rep. And then once they did get in touch with me, I never had a rep drag his feet to get paid. Do you know what I mean? Like it's like shut up and take my money. But we were talking, and you know, I talked to Moritat afterwards, and he's like, "Bother me anytime you want." He goes, "I'm I'm just a poor little artist who draws all the time. I have like three comic book friends." He goes, "Ask me whatever you want." I'm like, "Oh, the next time I, I'm gonna contact him. Next time you have a gig coming up, hit me up. We'll do an interview." I, I absolutely love Moritat. He's one of the nicest guys on the face of the planet. Sounds like quite an adventure, but I'm glad you got the piece. It's definitely worth it. You know. Yep. Sorry, it was a long-winded story, but it no, was listen, it was a fun one. Mm-hmm. Um, and hey, you know, uh, Todd needs money to be able to get these commissions and get these pieces. Uh, you know, we are having a sale on the T Public stuff, thirty-five uh, percent off this weekend, Memorial Day. You know, get shirts and you know all sorts of stuff inspired by this show and After Dark and everything else. You could buy stuff from us directly. I got shirts and pins and stickers here. 
Uh, PayPal store stink thing stinks. So just uh, shoot me an email if you want to buy something. Right. Uh, the prices have gone down since you know I fixed the problem there in the month uh, since they were there. Uh, you can also sign up for the Patreon as well. Uh, Patreon.com slash Longbox Heroes. Uh, dollar a month, $5 a month. No crazy tiered things, whatever it is. Um, you know, no matter what you pay, you get the two bonus shows from Todd and I uh, previewing the past where we look at 30 years ago uh, this month's previews catalog. <clears throat> it's an, it's influencing Marvel. It's influencing DC. Let it influence you. Uh, we have the movie show, Comic Book Oddities, where we look at some of the lesser known um, or maybe uh, m- more easily forgotten pre-Iron Man Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. Uh, we just recorded Halle Berry, Sharon Stone's Catwoman, respectfully, this past weekend. <laughs> uh, yep. The $5 up folks are going to get the shows two weeks before everyone else. Uh, they're also going to get After Dark two days before everyone else, so they can listen to the shows in the correct listening order. Um, you can also get the full scans of those previews, no matter what Patreon level you're at, uh, that we talk about on Previewing the Past. And we have full scans up there for the last three years of those preview catalogs. And listen, I know a lot of people don't listen to podcasts the same way that I listen to podcasts, which is all the time. Um, I, I talk to people that are like on a backlog. They're like, yeah, I'm just getting around to like whatever. Um, Pull up those previews catalogs. You know, if you're a comic book fan over the last 30 plus years, just to reminisce and look back on some of that stuff that's available, that was available, and what the comic book market looked like is one thing, but also what it sounded like when Todd and I do those uh, episodes, of course. Uh, it's, it's one of my favorite times of the week is when we get to sit down and uh, record the previewing of the past, just kind of reliving, you know, my youth. Yep. The one of the things that always catches me is how like thirty years is like coming back around again with things. Mm-hmm. It's just so fantastic. Like we you know when they did DC's did the thirty anniversary of Superman and to lesser extent kind of stuff. I, I'm just shocked at like how you know the the revolution goes. It comes back around like every once in a while. Absolutely. Um, so again, that helps us out. That gives you something. Um, as well, the extra podcasts, the early access, the preview scans, all that sort of jazz. And hey, we have eBay affiliate stuff. It's not the same as Amazon, you know, that gravy train ended. Uh, but if you're an eBay shopper, click our affiliate link and you'll uh, give us a little bit of kickback on anything that you uh, purchase off the old eBay. Yep. And I think that's it. Because like I said, got no TV, got no movies until uh, two weeks from now, right? Yep, I believe so. All right. Well, hey, listen, everyone, thank you very much for hanging in there with us. This was episode 659 of Longbox Heroes. For Todd, this is Joe saying we'll see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain.
You're listening to the soon-to-be-named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Networks. The Rob is a long box hero. The Rob is a long box hero. He gives us five five stars.